We are beginning a six-part series called Because You Asked. It's real, and I, I'm careful how to say that word because I say it sometimes because you axed and people make fun of me. Um, this is actually part two. We did a short series back in 2013. Some of you uh, may have been there. Uh, I'm not quite sure. But we'll jump back into the Gospel according to Luke in uh, six weeks from now, September 24th. Um, this six-part series comes from exactly because you asked. Uh, we, we put questions out there. We took questions. We kind of put them in categories. And we'll do a six-part series. Uh, today will be the, the need uh, really about community and church and membership, biblical sexuality and gender next week, the person work of the Holy Spirit. We'll, we'll look at that in, in a more like a teaching session. Uh, prayer, and then living faithfully in light of our future hope. What does it, look, what does it mean to live uh, as gospel people here and now? And then uh, how to share your faith, when and how, and how, sometimes how difficult that is. But uh, we pray that um, that will be a time where we can learn uh, and grow together. The title today of the sermon is The Gathered and Scattered Church. The gathered and scattered church. And I've used the word church. I'm going to use the word gathering. I'm going to use the word community. We're talking about the people of God gathering together. Uh, we did a two-part series back in 2020 during COVID called The Essential Church. This is before John MacArthur put a movie out called The Essential Church. Um, but we did it back in 2020. And really the purpose and the nature of the church. You can go online and look at that uh, series. Um, since I've been here at King's Chapel, I've um, been here for quite a while. Um, in the winter of 2004, I became the uh, associate pastor or assistant pastor, associate pastor in 2004, and I oversaw music and community groups. And yes, with me, you could say we're glad God brought Ricky to us. <laughs> Ever since God redeemed me, it was 36 years ago, actually today is my spiritual birthday, believe it or not. 36 years ago, some of you weren't even born. Uh, praise God. Um, I had a passion for living life together. Um, early in my walk with Christ, I had a very real sense uh, that if I was going to grow in my faith, if I was going to learn what it means to faithfully walk with Jesus, I personally needed a lot of help. Okay? Uh, I was living as I wanted, doing what I wanted, seeing things from my own perspective. I realized that it got me to a very bad place, and I was doing things all wrong, um, and I needed, I needed help. Um, following the Lord Jesus Christ does not come naturally. The Scripture is clear that we are not only dead in our sins and trespasses, Ephesians 2, but before Christ we walked, we followed, we lived in the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit, evil spirit, that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, all of us lived in the passions of our flesh, that's our anti-God mentality, carrying out the desires of the body, the mind, and by nature children of wrath, all of us. But, verse 4 of chapter 2, God is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we, I'm doing that on purpose, <laughs> were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you, that's plural, y'all, have been saved. We, us. Your salvation is personal, I get it. But there is a very much a sense of we and us. We have been redeemed. We are people who need his word. We are people who need the Holy Spirit. We are people who need the people of God. It's not an option. It's 
It's not a suggestion. Not only commanded of Christ that we need each other, but it was and is a design of God that we would follow Christ, live out our Christian faith in community. In community. And before we can even talk about what that looks like to live it out, we have to recognize the origin first. And purpose, mission, and we'll talk a few minutes on membership. So again, church, community, gathering, we're talking about the people of God, okay? Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. We see in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, the Word of God tells us this. God said, let us make man in our image after or according to our likeness. You may ask, well, who is our? Who is us? Well, actually, you don't have to go very far. You look just back at chapter 1 of Genesis, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, out of nothing, ex nihilo, God said, let there be light. And there was light. God speaks creation into existence. John, the apostle, picks up that language in Genesis 1.1 when he writes his prologue in John 1.1. In the beginning, in the beginning God created, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He, the Word, was in the beginning with God, in the beginning before creation. Genesis 1, this was pointing to. All things were made through him, the word, and without him, the word, was not anything made that was made. John 14, chapter 1, verse 14. He, the word, became flesh and dwelt among us. Now we know who he is. We have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we see the us and our in Genesis is the one God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit working together in harmony, in love, in unity, creating mankind. Both man and woman created in the image and likeness of God. Latin, we call that the Imago Dei. We'll talk more about that next week. Men and women created with equal value, equal worth, equal dignity in the likeness of God. The whole trinity involved with human Life. We didn't evolve from nothing to become something. It's not that the impersonal made something personal or the unintelligent made something intelligent. We didn't evolve. We're not here by random choice. We're here by God's divine design, excuse me. And all true followers believe that God is one God who has revealed himself in three persons, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We see that in creation, Genesis 1. We see that in creating man, Genesis as well. And we also see that, we saw that in Luke, in Luke 3, the Trinity involved. The Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove, and a voice from heaven spoke, right? You are my beloved Son of the same nature, Father speaking to the Son, as the Spirit of God comes upon him. With you, I am well pleased. More importantly, we see the work of the triune God in salvation, right? God plans salvation 
by his grace. In eternity past, the Son purchased salvation by his substitutionary death on the cross, and the Holy Spirit applies it to our lives with the new birth and the regenerating work. God himself has been revealed to us as one God, three persons, co-equal, eternally existent in three persons who are in complete unity, or we could say in glorious community. Eugene Peterson, God is an eternal community, a radically other-centered relationship where the Father is always saying, isn't my son something? The son always saying, look to the Father, and the Spirit is always saying, look at Jesus, end quote. The three persons of the Trinity are co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent, one God in community with each other from eternity past to eternity future. So we begin when we talk about the gathering of God's people or the, or the need of community. It is because, in part, because God, whose image and likeness we were created, is rightly defined and understood as community. So deep down in our souls, we were made for community, to, to love him, to have a relationship with God, and to have relationship with each other. And when you read Genesis 1 and 2, you'll see that God announces everything in his creation as being very good. Light, good. The seas he made, good. The trees and the stars, the moon and the sun, it was good. Created Adam, good. But then in Genesis 1.31, God saw that he had made, what he had made, that he had made, and behold, it was very good. All that I've made, it is very good. But then in 2.18, that God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. The one thing God, God said was not good is that Adam is alone. Now think about this. This was said before Genesis 3. That it was not good in perfect creation that Adam was alone. Right, So before sin and corruption entered into God's perfect creation, it means that Adam was lonely and alone, not good, not because he was imperfect, but in his perfection. And the ache of relationship, community, is an ache in our lives, in our hearts, that's not a result of sin. This is before sin entered the world. So what does God do? God puts Adam asleep. And from his side, not from his head or his foot, from his side, he creates a helpmate, Eve. She is beautiful, sinless, and naked. Some dream. What a, what a nap that was, right? When he woke up. God the Father then becomes the first father to present his daughter for marriage. We see that in our marriage ceremonies. Eve is brought and given to Adam. He sings a song. They consummate their marriage. The two become one flesh. Community. Unfortunately, Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sin, rebel against God, separated from God, kicked out of the garden, and the outcome and the consequence of sin was life that was replaced with death, spiritual death immediately, physical death to come. They lose their place, driven from the garden, the meaning of life gets twisted, the ground is cursed, and they now toil with thorns and thistles. And ever since our happy naked parents sinned against God, it brought a curse upon themselves and on all mankind, for all have sinned. Because sin marred our hearts, it also fractured community. We see that in Genesis. 
Immediately, these relationships, this, this life together begins to unravel. Adam and Eve run from God. There's fear, there's shame, and there's blame. Adam and Eve have their first fight. The sons commit the first murder. But the principle remains, there, there is a origin, there is a reason, there is a, a, a purpose, too, as well, um, that we are created in his image, therefore we are created in his community-bearing image that we are in need for relationships. Yes, it's fractured by sin, but it doesn't change the ache, the need. If we're honest, it makes it complicated because we're all sinful and sometimes messy, and all of us experience that. But within the Trinity, the Godhead, there is perfect community, yet not with us, but it's still not an option part of our imago day. Now the purpose of community, we see that God creates us to be in community, to not only meet the longing to be in community, but ultimately we are to do what we were created to do, even in community, and that is to reflect his glory. Not only reflect his glory, but for purposely to reflect his glory to the world. And although God is and always will be, listen, God is and always will be satisfied in himself. God is complete in all his goodness and all his greatness. He did not create us in his image-bearing community likeness because he was lonely. I just need somebody to worship me. That is not biblical. He is complete and satisfied in himself. But he is creative and a creative God in love. He chose to create us to bear his image for his glory and to reflect his glory to the world. Isaiah 46, excuse me, 43, 6. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone is called by my name whom I created for my glory. I formed and I made. Psalm 96, 3. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all peoples. 1 Corinthians 10.31, the Apostle Paul. So whether you, and, and again, that's plural. One thing I like about the King James Bible, I don't use it, but they, 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 they use the word ye, meaning plural. So whether, so whether you, plural, eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Reminds me of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, right? What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now, the word glory, the Greek word doxa, um, um, and, and, and that means weightiness or, or, or value. We talk about this often here at King's Chapel. God's glory is that, that infinite uh, worth, his intrinsic value, unsurpassable worth that he has in and of himself. His glory, his majesty speaks of his, his magnificence, his preeminence. His splendor, his radiance, his weightiness, his holiness, his majesty, all those things. Purity and worthiness, superiority that he inherently possesses and he alone. So all of creation <coughs> has a purpose, including community, to bring him glory by reflecting the goodness and greatness of God to the world. That's something God has been doing throughout biblical history and throughout all of history. Adam and Eve was given that creation mandate to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue it and cultivate the world, creation, so that the world would be an expression or a reflection of the greatness and goodness of God. Israel, 
also created for the glory of God. You are my servant Israel, Isaiah says. Through Isaiah, God speaks. You are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. Isaiah 49.3. I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord, that they might be for me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory. Jeremiah 13.11. God has always been about proclaiming his glory. John Piper says this, God's overflowing joy in his own glory is the root and basis for our joy in his own glory. God is exuberant about his glory and makes it display, makes it its display and goal of all he does, therefore so should we, end quote. So just as Israel was commissioned as a people to reflect God's glory to the nation, so too is the church, the gathering of God's people today, the gathered assembly of God to display his glory. Turn, turn if you have your Bibles to 1 Peter. I love 1 Peter. Um, we'll be in a little bit today. Um, I love 1 Peter when it speaks about the church. It's a place I, I go to a lot. Um, 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 4. Verse 3, you taste and see that the Lord is good. As you come to him, Right? As you, you all, as plural, come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, that's Jesus. You yourselves, like living stones, plural, are being built up as a spiritual house to, a, to be a, a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What Peter's doing, he's using analogies and metaphors from his Old Testament days, from the scriptures, from what he remembers about the glory, the Shekinah glory of God, the presence of God that came down and dwelt in the tabernacle. We're living stones built up together, having come to the, the living stone, which is God, Christ, where the Shekinah glory and the presence of God can come down and inhabits his people. That, that, that's what he's saying. That, that's the picture he's drawing. Stones being built up, house, Shekinah glory in Christ Jesus. Verse 9. You are a chosen race. He's talking about the people of God. A royal priesthood, a holy nation. A people for what? His own possession. We're not our own. His possession. That you, plural, may proclaim the excellencies or the glory of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, you were excluded from God, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So as a community uh, of gathered people, we are to reflect God's glory to the world. There's no other gathering in all the universe that gathers for that purpose. Feel that. It is when Christ's followers gather together and live out the gospel together that God's glory is revealed. Because the greatest display of the glory of God is the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we live together, reflecting his person, the person of Christ, living out the implications of the gospel, the cross, he gets glory, we get joy. We, the gathering community, or a people of the eternal God being rescued by the gospel, given a new identity by the gospel, living our lives together in the gospel so that we could bring glory to the God of the gospel. If genuine relationships are not 
voluntarily built around Christ and the gospel with social clubs, not true community. So it's important that we see that we gather together as we gather together in corporate worship, as we gather together in our community groups, that we're defined by the gospel, fueled by the gospel, and seek Christ who is the gospel. There are a lot of, I mean, there is so much in Scripture. I go on forever, I won't. Um, that talks about gospel-glorifying communities. But if you have a Bible, I hope you do, or your Bible app, turn to Romans 12. Turn to Romans 12. Paul, the apostle, in his letters, in his epistles, begins usually with doctrine, the truth of, of who Christ is, who we are, and lays that foundation. And then the second half usually is the implications, the application. We're at the application. But there's a couple of things I want us to see. What do gospel communities look like? I think we could pull out three things. We could pull out a hundred things, but three things I want to look at today. Gospel communities gathered around a common truth. This is what, this is what we do. We gather around a common truth. We gather around and we, excuse me, express a common attribute and we relate in the context of family. Okay? Gather around a common truth, express a common attitude, uh, attribute, and relate in the context of family. Look with me in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I don't have it up on the screen. You have to pull up your app. The Apostle Paul tells them, I appeal to you. Now, once again, I, I just so you know, there are many places in Scripture, here's one of them, where you is not you. I know that's very deep. It's plural. Anybody from the South? Y'all. It's y'all. I appeal to y'all. Right? To the church. The gathered people. I appeal to you, plural. Therefore, brothers and sisters. How by the mercies of God. Not your own moral performance. By the mercies of God, bring and present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Verse 3, by the grace given to me, not my own effort, by grace, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. And each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Then he talks about what that looks like. One body, um, uh, we serve each other, gifts that differ, but we're all working together. And the commonality we see here is whether you are young or you're old, or somewhere in between, whatever ethnicity, uh, uh, ethnic background, or any other difference, we gather together because of God's mercy and God's grace. That's our rally cry. Paul makes it clear in Romans 3. He says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped. The whole world may be held accountable to God. Romans 5, Romans 6 all speak of the same thing. While we were dead in our sins, we were reconciled through the work of Jesus. Romans 5.10. If while we were all... We were our enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of the Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So all of us have this in common, okay? Our moral performance, our righteous 
deeds are but filthy rags before God when it comes to relationship with him, earning any kind of relationship or coming into any kind of acceptance of God. Okay? They give us nothing. They give us no standing before God. We, as God's people, come through the mercy and grace of God and the righteousness that Jesus does on our behalf. His righteousness is what clothes us, not our own. It is his perfect life that we could never live. It is his death on the cross, the atoning work of the cross that purchased us, paid the penalty for our sins, and the resurrection of Christ that alone the gospel, by sheer grace, reconciles us to a holy God, brings us into communion with a holy God. That commonality that we share never changes and must be foundational in our communities. It's the basis for our relationship, the grace of God. No matter where you came from, no matter what's going on in your life, we came the same way, and that is through the cross of Jesus Christ and faith in him. So, gospel communities gather around a common truth. Second, gospel communities uh, express a common attribute. Look at verse 9. Characterized by the attribute of love. Agape, love. The word genuine here, the adjective genuine means without deception and without hypocrisy. It's genuine love. Uh, th- there's a real danger when we gather together and we're all putting masks on. We're all making believe, right? Uh, we're all uh, have this fakeness about us. And you say, Pastor, tell me that isn't so. That can't happen. Yeah. <laughs> How you doing today? Really great, liar. You know, it's... When we are in an authentic community, we give permission to others in relationship with us to speak the truth in love, to speak into our lives. We're created, listen, and we're designed to live in community. That means we are designed and created to live and grow together, to love and to encourage one another, to to lift each other up when we fall, to experience the pains and the joys of life together. Only in that setting with the gospel we worked out into the fabric of our lives and uh, of our daily lives and, and worked the gospel truths into our hearts. Gathering together, again, is not optional, but optimal environment. An optimal environment for life-changing, transforming power of God. It's not you alone with the Bible, you alone with the Holy Spirit. That's not what Scripture teaches. It is you with the Word, with the Spirit, with God's people. We all share the same common truth that we're rebellious, wicked, and sinful people whom God has to rescue. So it should not be shocking when we struggle with the flesh, when we struggle with unbelief, when we struggle with sin and envy and strife and pride and lacking strength, and we need help. That should not be a surprise to any of us. Let love be real. Let love be genuine. Arbor, harbor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, verse 9 also says. Communities that are defined by the gospel, characterized by love, recognize we're all sinful, all wicked, we all run to the same place, we love one another, uh, we, we're, we're, we're resting in the truth of the gospel, is a, should be a place where we can be honest with each other, honest of the place where we're at, but also a place where we, we strive toward holiness. That's what verse 9 says, let love be genuine Arbor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Hey, I'm here for you. 
I love you. I, all right, you, you fell and you hit your head again. Man, we need to get up. We need to strive for holiness. I'm here to help you to do that. I'm not here to help you stay in your sin. I'm not here to help you to just live out your life in, in, in rebellion of God. I'm here because I love you. I forgive you. And I want to I wanna strive with you toward holiness. That's what God's people gather for. So communities that are defined by the gospel, characterized by love, are safe places. We're not talking about running around pointing out every single sin in our lives. That's not what I'm saying. I want to be really careful. Don't tell me I was doing 65 and a 55. I already know. <laughs> but destructive and hurtful decisions and behaviors need to be addressed if we are to love one another. So gather around common truth, express a common attitude, and relate. Oops, sorry, let me go back. And relate in the context of family. Verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now, we know the word love um, in the Greek. There's actually four words for love in the Greek. Some, some think there are three. There are actually four. Uh, filio, friendship. Philadelphia, the, brother, the city of brotherly love. There's eros, erotic, romantic love, agape, sacrificial love. But the, first, the fourth one that you don't hear a lot about is what the Bible, and it's only, it's only mentioned here in Scripture once, storge. It's familial, affectionate love, a, a family love, a, a, a tender affection toward one another. It, the common bond we have in the gospel and the common sacrificial love we share in the gospel not only changes us and transforms us, but listen, it transforms us into a family. The Bible calls us brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's, let, don't just, oh, I know that. Well, think about that for a minute. What's the implications of that? There's radical implications. We're not just members of a religious organization. Being brothers and sisters in Christ, as the scriptures teach us, is, is totally different. And when the Bible calls us family, brothers and sisters in Christ, it does so because we have been in rebellion and outside of, of, of God and relationship with God, and God brought us into his body, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are now brothers and sisters, children of God together. It is a love that is able to transcend discriminating factors. There's no discrimination. Whether culture, ethnic, finances, whatever it is, that goes out the window when God's people gather together. Because we're gathering around a common truth. We're all sinful. We need help and redemption. And we are to love each other with a sacrificial love. And now we are family and we are to love each other as brothers and sisters. This, this special glory of Storge is that it unites people that would not necessarily be united, right? You didn't choose your sibling. And some of you are thinking, yeah, if I had a choice, I wouldn't have picked them. But you didn't choose that. You could choose what family or, excuse me, what church you're, 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 you're part of. But when you make that decision, that other option goes out the window. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ at King's Chapel. The affection of the family comes with, with, with familiarity and deep bonds, with different people coming from different backgrounds. Some people here grew up in church. I've talked with you. Some people had godly parents. Some people you did not. You come from a broken place. You come from a real dark place. Devastation, trials, whatever, the, whatever brought you together, God brought you here together as brothers and sisters living out 
the familial family relationship in the church. We don't look around and get to choose and pick who we love sitting next to us. That option went out the window when you said, Kings is my home. Right? Remember the wall analogy back in 1 Peter? You connected to each other. I mean, just think of the bricks being built up in the spiritual house that Peter talks about. When the, when the bricks are missing, you know, the, the wall is unstable. It could even fall down. We need to be so connected to one another that we are living life together. We're, we're sharing decisions. We're sharing resources. Uh, we're sharing time and money and talents with one another. Acts chapter 2. Couldn't do a sermon on community without Acts chapter 2. And they, that's the believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. These early disciples were living in community, gathering under the grace of God. They loved and cared for one another, serving each other when there was needs that came up within the body, living out what it means to be brothers and sisters in Christ, serving one another, caring for one another. They gathered, notice here, they gathered in large groups, like we're doing here, they gathered in the temple, attending the temple together as the word of God was preached, and they gathered in smaller groups, breaking bread in their homes. They did both. I think they went home and said, hey, what the, what the Apostle John was talking about, let's work that out together. We call it air war, ground war, where we gather together on Sunday morning. The, the leaders of the church, the, the pastor elders of the church, are, are given the responsibility to teach the word of God, to teach doctrine, and to teach the scripture. We usually do it expositorily through books of the Bible. When we're done with the series, I will repent thoroughly that we're doing topical preaching. But, um, it, that's, but then we gather together we have the air war preaching on Sunday. Then we have the ground war when we meet in homes. We have 15 or 16 groups that meet throughout the capital district. Air war, ground wars. What's going on? That's what they gathered for. So you have the, uh, the purpose of the community. Now let's look at the mission together for a few. And look what happened in Acts chapter 2. They, 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 were, they were gathering together in large crowds. They were meeting together in small groups. Living life together, and what happened? Look at verse 47b. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Wow. As the gospel shapes our communities, it shapes our character of love, and the gospel shapes our cause. Jesus creates this gospel community that people are drawn to so that they too can meet Jesus and have their sins forgiven. To know of the mercy and the grace of God. We're called to live among each other and in the world to reflect the gospel that we believe. So that people, little by little, they'll see the goodness of God. They, people should be able to see our communities, uh, our community here gathering at King Chapel and see the goodness of God. See the mercy of God. See the grace and, 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 and kindness and forgiveness of God. If you're around me at any amount of time, especially when the conflict arises, let's work it out in the gospel. 
communities are messy. I get that. But there's room for repentance. There's room for forgiveness. What the gospel teaches us. Those who have been called by Jesus and followed him come into his kingdom through the gospel. We live in community that's now marked by not the world standards, but the work and the purpose and, and, the, and the teaching and following of Jesus. So we're not going to be people marked by a, a, a mad pursuit to be our own Lord. We're going we're gonna to submit to Christ. We're going to be humble. We're going to be serving others. Materialism doesn't define us. Social status, portfolio, economic position doesn't define us. Race and culture doesn't ultimately define us anymore either. King Jesus does. Right? Because I am his, he is mine, I am in his kingdom. He's Lord and Savior over the church, over the community. You see, a community shaped by the gospel will live in such a way that people will see the kingdom of God here and now and we call them to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. And we do what Jesus did. We demonstrate the gospel. We feed the poor. We, we, we care for the lonely. We minister to the broken. Like Jesus. And most importantly, we are defined by, also by declaring the gospel. That's our mission. We've been set free from the worldly possessions and the worldly authorities and the worldly ways we now belong to King Jesus. We can be open-handed. We can be generous to our brothers and sisters, to the poor and to the oppressed. It's the coming of kingdom. God the Father sent the Son. God the Father sent God the Son who sent the Spirit. And God the Father, Son, and Spirit sends us, equips us, and empowers us to carry out his mission, to be light on the hill, to be salt to the community, to proclaim his glory, to be the presence and witness to the world. And the gathered community picks up where Israel left off. People who see the goodness of God join what God is doing in the world. It's about the Missio Dei. Maybe you've heard it. See, our gathering is about the Missio Dei. The Missio Dei is Latin for the, for the mission of God. It comes from his very nature. Even in Genesis 3, when Adam sinned against God, and ran. What do we see God doing? We see God chasing after Adam. Where are you? Adam tries to cover himself. And what does God do? Sheds an animal and clothes Adam. Adam tried to bring self-salvation. And God brought a covering of what was needed. Back to 1 Peter for a few minutes. First Peter says we're a chosen race, royal priesthood. We get that. We're people for his own possessions, verse 9. Proclaim the excellency. He called us out of darkness. We were not a people, we're now a people. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 11 that the, 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 this gathering of God's people who are a race, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, we are to scatter into the world as missionaries to proclaim the glory of God. Verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Right? Don't live for your own glory. Don't live in an anti-God mentality. Action. It wages war against your soul. Verse 12. Keep your conduct where? Among the Gentiles honorable. Stop for a moment. He doesn't say escape the culture. Don't talk to anybody that's not like you. He doesn't say emulate the culture. Just go along with everything everyone's doing. No, it actually says the opposite. 
Abstain from the passions of the flesh. So don't escape, don't emulate. What does he say? He says, engage the culture for the cause of Christ. Keep your conducts among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see what? Your good deeds and glorify God. We are all missionaries. Christ followers are all missionaries. Partners together living and sharing the gospel. That's why we call them gospel partners, local and global. We are all to reflect and share the gospel to a corrupted world. That's, you know, we're going to talk a lot about that next week and where this culture is going. Um, you, we can get... And, and, and to some degree, I think it's justified, angry at what's going on around us. I think God is. But if that's where we stay, that's a problem. Because we also have to see it as opportunities to love and to share the hope we have. Right? The hope we have. Living together in the gospel, reflecting it to the world with delight in the glory. We declare his glory in word and deed. That's the incarnational reality for us as gathered people is living out Christ's life to the world. We are to be a community so when people see and come to know us, they get a glimpse of who God is. All Christians are missionaries. As the Trinitarian God is sending his people on mission. John 20, 21. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. What, are, what is a missionary? A missionary is someone who takes a life-changing gospel. The life-changing gospel. Excuse me, the life-unchanging gospel. Please forgive me. The unchanging gospel and looks to incarnate it in the culture which is changing. Culture changes the unchanging gospel in a culture that is changing. It looks differently in different days. It looks differently in different eras. It looks differently in different places. But the unchanging gospel, that which never changes, must be proclaimed and declared. Always looking to tell other people, connecting them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether you're here, whether you're overseas, we're all on this common mission of taking the gospel of redemption to our world. In our families, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our state, in our country. Co-workers, fellow students, cashiers, uh, uh, stewards, wherever it is, and around the globe. Explaining Christ in a particular culture at a particular place. Acts chapter 1. Jesus tells his disciples this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the remote part of the world. Okay? So start at home and it spreads. I've said this again, if, if, if there's a church or a gathering of people under, well, we'll get to what, what a church is, but if we're gathering and mission is not at the heart of why we gather, we're not mirroring a New Testament church. Why? Because the ultimate and final pinnacle of the glory of God is the person and work of Jesus. And the mission and the aim and the goal of God is to manifest his glory. And his glory is manifested when people come to faith in Jesus Christ and they see the beauty and the glory of who Christ is. Therefore, the work of God to manifest and display his glory and the command in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples are inseparably, inseparably linked. 
gets glory through his son, preach the gospel, share the gospel, point people to the gospel, declare the gospel, call people to faith, God gets the glory. God has, God has chosen to get glory by gathering a people for himself, graciously forgiving them of their sins, freeing them so that they may start becoming what they originally were created to do, and then sends them out as glorified saints to tell others of his greatness. And how do we do that? Living as missionaries. Do you consider yourself a missionary? Do you consider yourself saved, redeemed, brought into the body of Christ, and as a people going out and telling others about Jesus? I hope so, because that's what the scriptures teach us. Lastly, we'll just spend a couple of minutes on the membership of community. Uh, let, let me just say this. There is no such thing in the New Testament. There is no such thing in the New Testament as Christians, born again, children of God, family of God, not part of a local church. No such thing. Oh, I know so-and-so. He never goes to church. Okay. Not biblical. I don't need the church. I'm just going to have my Bible. Not biblical. Not in the New Testament. You and I don't get to define what a New Testament church is. God does. Not our church. Not our gospel. It's his. Now there are times in churches where a new church is being formed and elders, I mean Titus was told by Paul, go appoint elders. It was, but when you look at the New Testament as a whole and you see what scripture says about the church, you can come up with a pretty good definition of what the church is. I'll put it up there. It's long. Uh, if you want, I can send it to you. But the local church, according to Scripture, is a community or a gathering of regenerated believers under the headship of Christ, His church, the authority of Scripture, His Word, who believe and confess Jesus Christ is Lord, God in the flesh, and Savior of the world. They come together or organize under qualified biblical leadership. We gather regularly for preaching, teaching, and worship. Two ordinances, baptism and communion, give of our money, our time, and our abilities, unified in the Spirit, disciplined for holiness, and then we scatter to fulfill the great commission as disciple-makers, missionaries to the world for God's glory and our joy. That's a mouthful, I know. I'll send it to you if you'd like. In some ways, just think about it. You can talk in your community groups. In some ways, the church is not something you join. In many ways, the church is something that we submit to. You see, we falsely think of membership and joining a church as the same as joining like a fire department or, or a hunting team or, or a union or a garden club or something of that nature. But the church's foundation is that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the Savior. He died on the cross for our sins. And the church submits to his supreme rule and authority over us. It concerns our kingdom citizenship, not club membership. Great book called Church Membership, Jonathan Lehman, Nine Marks. Use the term embassy. I really like it. He says the church is not the kingdom. It's an outpost or embassy of that kingdom. What is an embassy? It's an institution that represents one nation inside another nation. It declares its home nation's interests 
to the host nation and it protects the citizens of the home nation living in the host nation. You hear what he's saying? He goes on to say, there's a place on earth where the citizens of heaven can, at this moment, find official recognition and asylum, the local church. Churches represent Christ's rule now. They affirm and protect the citizens now. They proclaim his laws now. They bow before him as king now and call all people to do the same. He says, a local church is a real-life embassy set in the present that represents Christ's future kingdom and his coming universal church, end quote. The local church is the authority on earth that Jesus has established to affirm and to grow in discipleship, to make new disciples. Obviously, listen, the church that have the same exact authority as Jesus, leaders must first submit to the authority of Christ before they can exercise good, loving authority in the church. Like the state and the government, which ultimately has been instituted by God, we are to exercise authority through love, through kindness, through tender affection, heart-changing power of the word and the spirit, not manipulative, through coercion and, and, and persuasion in, 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 a, in a mean, ungodly way. It's correction, loving correction. Now, there are things in the New Testament church and the local assemblies that is different than today. I get that. Submitting to a local church looked differently than, than it did in Paul's day than it does in our day. But there are some principles that the church, our church, and churches today are trying to, trying to be faithful to according to Scripture. That's why we have church meetings. That's why we have church membership meetings. We have covenant meetings. We meet with the we met with the three today, hear their testimony, to question and to go back and forth, to, to see whether or not, to our best ability, whether they are part of the universal church before they can join the local church. Matthew 16 and Matthew 18 uh, gives the church leaders the responsibility to do their best as overseers of the church, as overseers of the embassy, to declare who is part of the kingdom citizenship. Matthew 19, we know it speaks about removing members from the church, right? Uh, when, when their life is not consistent with kingdom citizenship. And we see in the book of Acts that they were keeping record. There was numbers being kept. We see in the book of Acts terminology that would, would, would talk about formal church membership. We see the whole congregation gathered or the church, that, that body of believers that gathered in Jerusalem or the whole church, the elders of the church of Ephesus, it says in Acts chapter 20, all talking about there was a, there was a distinct understanding of who was in and who was out. That's all church membership not all, but that is part of what church membership is doing. And think about this, as we're just going to wrap it up now. As pastor elders, let me get a little personal here for a minute. Are we responsible, as the Bible calls us to be responsible, over everyone that walks in that door, even if they come in every six months? Are we responsible for someone maybe if they come twice a month? What are the pastors and how are we to take responsibility to love and to serve and to care, support, to feed, to provide, and do all the things that pastors are supposed to do. I'm not going to go there. But all the good things that we're supposed to do. Is that everyone? Some people? Our primary responsibility really belongs to those who have said, we're with you, we're in covenant together, we're submitting to you the authority of the church. 
and we're coming alongside, we're part of the family. That's really our, our primary responsibility. Some of you may not like that, but that's the way it is. Uh, you know, that, that's, I mean, once a month, six times a year, what do we do? Well, when you say, no, we're going to submit to the authority of the church, we're going to come together as covenant members together, walk together, be responsible and accountable to one another, that's what church membership is. I mean, even in, in the Old Testament, excuse me, in the New Testament, when one person left to go to another area, to another church, uh, the Bible talks about a letter of recommendation. I mean, we see all that in the Scripture. The band can come on up. I, I'm over time here. L- let me be pastoral just for a minute. I know some of you, you hear this, man, you've been hurt by a church. I, I get that. I, You've been hurt by the leadership. You've been hurt by the church. You need time to heal. I I understand. And there are very good reasons not to attend or to leave a church. I get that. Major doctrinal issues that opens the door to abuse. Abuse doesn't just happen. It's because of some twisted theology. And yet there are other of you that are here who would rather live as you see fit and don't want to submit to anyone. And in some ways you're not submitting to Christ because we are his body. And we are his people. There's no perfect church. But there are imperfect people and leaders genuinely loving and serving Christ together. And I believe we are that church too. I'm not patting myself. I'm just saying as a pastoral team, deacons and elders here at this church, as we gather in community, we love you. We're not perfect. But we love and care for you. We want to use what God has given us, the tools, the, the, the roles to love and serve and care for, and shepherd, and provide, protect, and love God's people. Can you put up that last slide before we go there? Think about this for a minute. In Acts 20, 28, yeah, one more. Acts 20, 28. Pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, talking about leaders, to care for the church of God, which what? He obtained with his own blood. Revelation 5, 9, they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, and people, and nations. Titus 2, 11, this will be it. Let's stand together. Listen to this text. For the grace of God has appeared, that's Jesus, bringing salvation for all people, training us. The grace of God trains us to renounce ungodliness to renounce worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age, waiting, the church is gathered together, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of the great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who what? Wants us to join a club? No, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this time to gather. God, we pray that you will work in our hearts, that we see the beauty and the glory of Jesus and the church gathered together as something that you have created for your good, for our good, for your glory and our joy. Father, may we be so connected to you and connected to one another that we reflect something of your greatness and your mercy and your kindness and your forgiveness to the world that so desperately needs to see it. And Father, may we all take up the banner of missionaries 
as we live life together. Father, we pray that you will help us to demonstrate the gospel through generosity and that we are not part of, we are not citizens ultimately of this world, but also declaring it with the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and he calls everyone everywhere to repent and to believe on him. That's our prayer for our church, we pray in his name. Amen.